If you have your Bibles with you tonight, we're going to be continuing through Jeremiah. So I invite you to open up Jeremiah chapter 26. Now, if you remember, as we've been going through the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah is not set chronologically. It's a series of sermons or prophecies given by Jeremiah that were put together by, by Berechiah, his, his uh, secretary, and the, the, so the chronology doesn't flow. So we're going to see tonight, we're going to read chapter 26, it's dealing, this, the next uh, three chapters are going to deal with how people reacted to the messages that Jeremiah gave. This reaction took place back in Jeremiah chapter 7. So we're going to be talking about Jehoiakim. So if you remember, we talked about the last four kings. Jehoiakim is the king that Egypt put on the throne. So if you remember, Josiah, right, he was told not to march to war against Egypt. He marched to war against Egypt and died. His son that came to the throne was not uh, who Egypt wanted to be on the throne, so they deposed him. And set up a puppet king. That puppet king, his name is Jehoiakim. He's going to rule for 11 years. And he will die in the siege against Nebuchadnezzar in the, when Babylon comes. So, so we're going back to the early days. Now, if we, just so we can remember, okay, you have Jeremiah who knew Josiah. And Jeremiah's father... I believe Jeremiah's father is the one who discovered the scripture in the temple and brought it to the king. And the king read the scripture and reform goes through the land. Okay, we remember Josiah brings about great reform, last good king in Judah. So he brings about great reform, a lot of good things are happening. And then, you know, sometimes we read our own press too much and we, we make choices we shouldn't have made. Anyway, so Josiah is killed. Now, Jeremiah sings at his funeral. So they're contemporaries, right? Now, uh, Jeremiah is going to have roughly 40 years of ministry. Uh, some probably 13 years, plus or minus, during Josiah's reign, and then the other, the rest of the time for the last four kings. And so as we look, this is a a consistent thing. Now, one of the things that Jeremiah had the courage to do was to speak God's word without leaving anything out. This is a hard thing to do and a necessary thing to do. But it's difficult because people don't want to say the, the hard things. Our world needs to hear the hard things right now, right? So, so we have this, this uh, example that we're going to be looking at tonight. Now, the, I don't usually title sermons, but if I titled this one, it would be to kill a prophet. So the next few chapters, that's kind of people's goals. How do we get this guy to shut up? Now, Jesus wrote in John 15, 18, Jesus said, If the world hates you, know what? That it hated me before. So the idea is, and part of the thing that we're looking for, is not to be acclaimed by the world, which is a picture of Babylon, the world in rebellion against God, 
but rather to make a stand before that world in such a way that you are rightly reflecting the glory of God. So it's not about reflecting our glory. It's not about, you know, the things tasting like, like I always talk about the idea of drinking water out of a garden hose. Our goal as believers is to be able to deliver the word of God so that it tastes like water. If it tastes like rubber, there's too much of us in the message, right? We've all done it. Drank out of a hose and you're like, oh, that tastes terrible. So that's not how we deliver the gospel. That's not, not how we deliver God's word. Sometimes God's word is intended to be delivered in harsh ways. Yes, Jonah, 40 days and you're all going to be destroyed, right? Jonah was not trying to mince words with anybody. Sometimes the word of God, however the word is to be given, it is to be given the way God gave it. So the best way to do that is to read it straight out of the word. Without our interpretation mixed into it. I, I appreciate, there's a, a group of guys called Jeremiah Cries. I don't know if you've ever seen them. They'll go to street corners. I don't know about the guy who got beat up in Chaz, if he was Jeremiah Cries or not, but they'll go to street corners and they just read the word and call people to repentance and faith, right? Repent and believe is the message and just trying to read the plain word. When we would go out to Planned Parenthood in Scottsdale or Planned Parenthood out here, it's the same thing. It's not our interpretation. It's reading the word, trying to call people to repentance and faith, delivering what God's word says so that the light of Christ may dawn in someone's heart and maybe they'll stop, turn around, and uh, change their direction, right? The, the idea of repentance and faith. Jesus said, if we are reflecting his glory, right, that's our, that's our goal, to reflect the glory of Christ in our life as believers, if that's our goal, he said, the world will hate you because the world hated me. So if the world's in love with us, our, our message might be tempered, right? Because people love me every time I tell them what they want to hear. People are mad at me every time I tell them what they don't want to hear. So that's pretty much the, the run, right? In John 15, 20, Jesus said, remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. So basically those who see the light of Christ through the word of God, faith, right? Turn in faith. The word of God tells us that faith comes by hearing what? The word of God, right? So the word of God is shared. The people turn toward the light of Christ through faith in his word. He says, if they receive my word, they'll receive you also. If they, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. We are in our nation at that place. So uh, California repealed their civil rights uh, legislation in, in day, daylight. Uh, and what that means is now they can segregate according to race, creed, nationality, anything else that they want. Now, I don't think they're going to segregate according to race. Currently, we seem to be having a lot of problems discussing how uh, our race relationships are going to go. But I can promise you there's one group of people that everybody's okay with persecuting right now. So that's going to get into the target. 
That's good. You know, when Rome was burning, all they had to do to distract the people was say it's them Christians. The people who are clamoring for revolution in our nation right now, they point at Trump, blame all the problems on Trump. Who voted for Trump? Mostly, not all, but a lot of Christians, right? So now it's the Christians. Who, who do they see as the conservative face? Christians, right? So it's not, just so you know, that's happening. Uh, 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 AOC won her seat uh, won her primary last night in a landslide by getting 27,000 votes in a district that has 720,000 people. Isn't that crazy? So that's, so, so what that tells me is a lot of people just don't care what's going on, right? And that th- those who do are going to be able to make things happen. I just want us to understand the days are coming when, when uh, it will not be a crime or a violation of your constitutional right when they take away something from you as a believer. Because you will be a non-person just like we've seen people do in the past over different people groups. That's Those days, I think, are coming. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, how's it go? Will suffer what? Persecution, right? So if you want to follow Jesus... Persecution comes. Matthew 23, verse 33, Jesus said, You serpents, brood of vipers, how are you to escape being sentenced to hell? Therefore I send prophets and wise men and scribes, some of whom you will kill, crucify, some you will flog in your synagogues and persecute from town to town, so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. From the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Truly I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. So... Jesus' condemnation to the generation that he came to is, your fathers did what? Killed the prophets, all the people that I sent. Jesus, when he described the days that the church would enter into, he said, it'll be like me sending out sheep among wolves, right? Paul would say, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter all day long. Now, this is not, hopefully, I'm sorry, this is not to discourage us, but just to have set in your hearts that those that decision to be the, the man or woman God wants you to be will come long before someone's banging on your door, right? The old missionaries that were going around a variety of places, I remember a story, I can't remember the missionary anymore, but the, the captain of the ship was trying to talk him out of going, hey, st- you don't, don't go, forget about it, go back. They're going to kill you if you go to tell these people about Jesus. And the missionary told him, we died already. That's how you set your face like Flint to say, I'm following Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. No longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So this was the attitude Jeremiah has. And Jeremiah is going and bringing a message. It's not popular to the people. 
The message is a message of judgment. The message is a message that our nation is under God's judgment. And, and what the people wanted to hear was a message of patriotism, that God's going to deliver us, that everything's going to be okay. But that wasn't the message that God had given him. It says in 26 verse 1, In the beginning of the reign of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came from the Lord. Thus says the Lord, stand in the court of the Lord's house and speak to all the cities of Judah that come to worship in the house of the Lord. All the words that I command you to speak to them. Do not hold back a word. And it may be that they will listen and everyone turn from his evil way that I may relent of the disaster I intend to do to them because of their evil deeds. So God's saying, I'm intending to bring judgment. But if they repent, what? He says, I'll relent. That's exactly the story of Jonah, right? Jonah goes, he delivers the message, the people repent. God relents from judgment. Later on, Nahum the prophet goes to the same people. They don't repent, God's judgment falls. So the point is, and the point of the story, the reason why we study these things is because they, they continue to anchor out the idea that God has laid out for us that we have choice to make, right? We have two paths, life and death, blessing and cursing. And it's never too late. You're, you haven't gone so far down the wrong road that you can't repent, turn, follow Jesus and avoid the destruction, avoid whatever was going to come, right? Whatever events were going to happen. So we want to encourage uh, people to say, this is what this story is about. It's talking about a nation, but it's, it still has application to you and I as individuals. The, the message to the nation was, if you'll repent and turn. The message to our nation is, if she'll repent and turn, God will relent of his judgment. And if she won't, he won't. In Isaiah 45, 7, here's what the Lord says. I form the light. I create the darkness. I make well-being. I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. The point is not, what, 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 is, what is the Lord trying to tell us here? He's trying to tell us that if we walk the path of life, if we walk the path of blessing, if we follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we walk that road, there's life and blessing, Right? He's the God who creates the light. But he's the same God who says, if you go this way, there's darkness. If you go this way, there's life. This path ends in life. This path ends in destruction. And he says, I'm the God who does both. I'm the God who does both. If you, if you take this, I'm telling you ahead of time. You, it's hard for you to walk down the wrong road, turn around and blame God. He's, been, he's telling you all the way, right? Repent, 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 turn around, go the other way, take the other road. Turn right, the bridge is out. Turn right, the bridge is out. You drive off the bridge, that's on you. So he's laying out these ideas. He's saying, Here's, this is God's heart. I want the people to repent so that he can, he can forestall judgment. But he also knows the heart of the people, right? So he delivers the message. It says in verse 4, you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord, if you will not listen to me to walk in my law that I have set before you, to listen to the words of my servants, the prophets whom I send to you urgently, though you have not listened, 
Then I will make this house like Shiloh. I will make this city a curse for all the nations of the earth. Now, we have to know a little bit about our history if we're going to understand what Jeremiah is saying. He said, I'm going to make you, when the Lord says, I'm going to make you like Shiloh. For 400 years, the tabernacle was in Shiloh. The Ark of the Covenant was in Shiloh. The presence of God was in Shiloh. Now, the people had long since stopped going. But you may remember Samuel's coming on the scene. You remember? And Eli, the the priest who raised Samuel from a child, has wicked sons. And his wicked sons are stealing from the people. And the Lord warns them. And the Lord warns them. And the Lord warns them. And he doesn't do anything about it. So God sends the Philistines. The Philistines conquer Shiloh, take the ark. And the presence of God left Shiloh and never came back. So the Lord is saying, I'm going to make you like Shiloh. Now, what do they have in Jerusalem? Well, in Jerusalem, they have the temple. Whose temple is it? Solomon's temple. Some people would say Solomon's temple was one of the the seven ancient wonders of the world that we wouldn't even be able to believe what we saw if we saw the temple. And the Lord is saying, if you don't listen... What happened in Shiloh, the loss of the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant, the same thing's going to happen here. Now, God's judgment over Shiloh, the Lord allowed uh, the Ark of the Covenant to return. When Nebuchadnezzar comes, the Ark of the Covenant will never be seen in the pages of Scripture again. The Ark of the Covenant was not in the temple at the time of Christ. The Ark of the Covenant has not been on the Temple Mount since the days of Jeremiah. Nobody knows where it is. Some people say it's in heaven. The Bible certainly says that the Ark of the Covenant is in heaven, whether that's the the thing from which the copy is made on earth or not. We can argue about later. Some people say Jeremiah stole it and hid it in the caves, and they've never found it. I don't know. But what I know is when God's judgment falls... When Nebuchadnezzar destroys Jerusalem and wipes out the temple, the Ark of the Covenant will never be seen again, which is a symbol of the presence of God and his mercy over the people. The next picture of the Ark of the Covenant that they will see will be Jesus Christ. For the scripture says he is the hilasterion in the Greek. He is our propitiation. Literally what it says is he is our mercy seat. You know that's what the top of the ark was called, right? He's the mercy seat. He's the mercy of God now. So from Babylon, we're going to see that gone. He says, if you guys disobey, this is going to happen. This will happen. Psalms 70 verse 58 says, For they provoked him to anger with their high places. They moved him to jealousy with their idols. When God heard he was full of wrath, he utterly rejected Israel. He forsook his dwelling at Shiloh. Ezekiel has a similar vision, right? When Ezekiel sees the glory, what? He sees the glory depart. He says, it, call this place Ichabod. That's not the story of the headless horseman. Ichabod means the glory has departed. The glory of God is, has left. This is what the sign of Shiloh is, and this is ultimately the future for the nation of Israel. So he goes on. 
verse 8, we see, well, what did the people think of his message? See, it's always fun to be a preacher and preach a message nobody wants to hear, right? So here he comes. It says, and when Jeremiah had finished speaking, all that the Lord commanded him to speak to all the people, then the priests and the prophets and all the people laid hold of him and said, you shall die. Now, I've never had a message that bad. I've had people not happy with the message. I've had people, you know, a variety of different ways that, that they've been upset. But nobody has tried to kill me because the message was so bad. Here, Jeremiah, and this is what I always tell people who teach, if you've ever taught for me or at a men's retreat or as you get opportunity to teach, I always tell people the same thing. Our call is to be like Jeremiah, meaning we deliver what God gave us to say. And whether or not we were successful at that has nothing to do with how the people respond. Sometimes the people will respond and put you on their shoulders and call you a hero. And sometimes the people will respond and say, you need to die. But if you have declared God's word, you have been a faithful servant to the king. And you, are, have, you, are, you should hear the phrase, well done. You deliver all the word that God has given you to say. So usually what I ask people, if they've taught for me, they, they say, Jackie, what would you think? And I, I have to get better at doing, uh, uh, what do they call it, encouragement. I'm married to Kathy. So Kathy is queen encouragement. So um, I, that part of me I have never developed. I never needed it. Because when the boys would need encouragement, I'd say, go talk to your mom. And when they needed reality, I'd say, come talk to me. And so I've done that for a long time, trying to get better at it. But when guys come to me and say, what did you think? Of the teaching, I always say the same thing. Did you share what God gave you to share? Or did you leave something out? Nope, I shared what the Lord gave me. Then well done. It's not about how many likes you get. It's not about how many views you get. We live in a, in a you know, world now where, where it's the thumbs up that tell us if we did something good or not good. doesn't matter. Deliver the word. And then however the people respond, you are a faithful servant, a faithful steward of what God has given. I have to remind myself that all the time because <laughs> Kathy puts a video up two days ago and has 500 views and 700 likes and thumbs up. And I did a video two days before and I had 10 views and two thumbs down. So I'm like, oh, okay, I got, I got to not look at that stuff, right? So... So what I decided to do, I'm just going to share her videos from now on, and, and uh, I don't know if you guys saw hers, but it was really good, really amazing. Uh, she's got a gift. I can't think of three words that start with the same letter. She'll do a whole thing with all G words this time. Crazy. I don't know. You should check it out, though. Okay, so the people are upset. You should die. Why have you prophesied in the name of the Lord, saying that this house is going to be like Shiloh, and the city will be desolate without inhabitant, and all the people gathered around Jeremiah in the house of the Lord? So they're going to kill him. Now, there's a lot of parallels, guys, between what's going to happen to Jeremiah here and what's going to happen to Jesus, you know, more than 400 years later. So what's going to happen here and what's going to happen to Jesus, there's this this there's a comparison that we want to be able to see. The people are gathered. The people want to kill them. They want to, they want to get rid of them. This is always the response 
of man in rebellion to God against the truth of God's word. Always the response. If you try to share your faith and people get mad at you when you do it, you should not go, oh, I'm doing it wrong. That's not doing it wrong. That's man responding to the truth of God's word like man always responds. We do this thing where we get upset when somebody goes, you see somebody go and you think, well, that's not very loving or that's not very this or that's not very that because of the way people respond. But the truth is we want, all we're trying to do is show people the glory of God, right? So if we're trying to show people the glory of God, that should be our goal. And part of the glory of God is the love of God. Part of the glory of God is the justice of God and the wrath of God and the beauty of God and all of these things we want to be able to uh, reflect. That's our goal. Have I reflected Christ? And if they are offended by the reflection of Christ in you, that's just normal. So these people want to wipe him out. It says, when the officials of Judah heard these things, so they come up from the king's house to the house of the Lord. So they're here, the ruckus, in the temple. They come over to see what's going on. <clears throat> they took their seat in the entry of the new gate of the house of the Lord. That's where judgment would be taken. And the priests and the prophets said to the officials and to all the people, this man deserves a sentence of death. The priests and the prophets, who is it that wanted to kill Jeremiah? The religious. I remind myself of this every time I, I look at what somebody else is doing or what, what somebody else is, is saying and I hear feedback from believers that this is wrong, this is bad, we should shut this down. I'm not talking about people that teach uh, heretical things in opposition to the Word of God, but sometimes we as Christians can take shots at one another, right? Maybe you guys have done I know I've done it in the past, and I remind myself that the people who were the maddest at, at Jesus and the people who were angry at Jeremiah and wanted to kill him were the religious people who didn't like how somebody was doing something. Because it's not our nature, natural man does not want to do the things of God. Natural man wants to stand in rebellion against God. And God's ways seem weird, right? But I think we have to learn to sit back and say, is, is this person rightly ref reflecting Christ? Now maybe, maybe you've driven by a Planned Parenthood in the past and you've seen a guy out there with posters and you think... Oh my gosh, I can't believe anybody would do something like that. They're, they're, but maybe, maybe we are being like the religious in the time of Jeremiah or the time of Christ who said, crucify them. They're not doing it our way. I don't know. Something to ask ourselves, right? Something to consider before we start throwing spears at one another, especially in these days, because in these days we're going to need each other <laughs> before this is over. So, anyways, they gather the, the priests and the prophets. They say, this guy's got to die. He has prophesied against the city, and you have heard it with your own ears. So, verse 12, and Jeremiah spoke to all the officials and all the people, and he said, the Lord sent me to prophesy against this house and this city all the words you have heard. I'm just reading to you what God's word says. The best counseling I ever had with a young man who 
was in my office, who was living a life uh, outside of God's purpose for him, was to sit down, open my Bible, and ask him to read a verse. And he read the verse, and I said, what does that verse mean? And he said, it means I'm not living my life how I'm supposed to live my life. And then I said, what am I supposed to do about it? So he could see in the word. It's not Jackie coming against him. It's not me casting judgment on him. If it was up to me, I don't care what you do. But it's not up to me. It's up to God. And God does care. So we, so we, I had him read it. He said, oh, this is, I, uh, you know, he, he made the changes necessary in his life to get his life on track. Now, I've had a lot of other conversations where I've done it different and not received so well. So now this is what I do. I open up the Bible and I say, hey, let's read this together. Tell me what that means. So letting God's word do what God's word does, right? Now, therefore, he says in verse 13, mend your ways. Now, this is, this is courage, no? The people around Jeremiah want to kill him. And Jeremiah doesn't soften in the face of that. What does he do? He says, now, listen, you guys need to repent, that's what he's telling the judge. That's what he's telling the men around him. You need to mend your ways and your deeds and obey the voice of the Lord, your God, and the Lord will relent from the disaster he has pronounced. You can avert, right, the end of that path that leads to death by repenting and changing your direction. You can avert God's judgment. You, can you cannot spend eternity in hell. But you must repent. You must amend your ways. Change your direction. Jeremiah is delivering this to him. He says, but as for me, verse 14, I'm in your hands. Do your worst, right? You want to kill me? Kill me. Look, do with me as seems good and right to you. Only know for certain that if you put me to death, you will bring innocent blood upon yourselves upon this city, upon its inhabitants, for in truth the Lord sent me to speak these words in your ears. I'm just God's servant. You want to kill me? Kill me. But then my blood is on your hands. Does that remind you of another statement? Pilate is having a discussion with the religious people at the trial of Jesus, and they're saying, crucify him. And he's saying, why? What evil has he done? He washes his hands and says, I am washing my hands of this man. And what did the people say? His blood, what? Be on us and on our children. The blood guilt of the innocent. The crowd is saying, we'll take the blood guilt of the innocent as they're calling for the crucifixion of Christ. So here you have a parallel, right, between what's going on with Jeremiah what's, and, and what happened to Jesus. Now, in verse 16, here's where it differs from what happened to Jesus. It says, then the officials and all the people said to the priests, this man does not deserve a sentence of death, for he has spoken to us in the name of the Lord our God. Yeah, you shouldn't be mad at, we shouldn't be mad at him. This is God's word. This is God's word. He has delivered God's word to us. He is not guilty of death. 
And certain of the elders of the land arose and spoke to all the assembled people, saying, Micah of Moresheth prophesied in the days of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and said to all the people of Judah, thus says the Lord of hosts, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will be a heap of ruins, the mountain of the house, a wooded height. Did Hezekiah, the king of Judah, and all Judah put him to death? Did he not fear the Lord and entreat the favor of the Lord? Did not the Lord relent of the disaster that he had pronounced against them? But we are about to bring great disaster upon ourselves. So now the leadership is responding to what Jeremiah delivered back in Jeremiah chapter 7. The people want to kill him, but the leadership is saying, no, don't you remember Micah back in the days of Hezekiah? You know they exactly quote what Micah said in the Hebrew Bible. You know what that means? But they had Micah. I think sometimes we think that, that the Bible was not available, the people didn't know, but they're going to quote exactly what Micah said. Micah, from the Bible. Micah, Micah chapter 3, verse 11 and 12. It says, its heads give judgment for a bribe, its priests teach for a price, its prophets practice divination for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord in the midst of us? No disaster will come upon us. That's the same thing that the people are saying in Judah when Jeremiah is talking. God's not going to do nothing to us. We will overcome. Therefore, because of you, Zion will be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of mountains, and the mountain of the house shall be a wooded height. Exactly what Micah said. Exactly what's written. Is exactly what the people shared. Because God's message to the people in times like this is not relax, it's repent. It's repent. Turn. Turn from our sin, turn from these choices, decisions, the things that we're doing, and turn toward the Lord. Get off the road of destruction. This is the message for our nation. So I want to be really clear I don't know if I can make this more clear than this, but the God's judgment on our nation does, does not depend on whether or not Trump wins the presidency. Now, having said that, I don't know how a believer can vote otherwise in this upcoming presidential election. The sides are very clear. The lines have been drawn, and you can choose not to cast a vote. You can choose to do whatever you want. It's your vote. You, you use it how you see fit. But to the, the only side in this discussion that has any desire whatsoever to allow protection of and a covering for believers of Jesus Christ is on the right. On the left is the destruction of all things religious and faith. They just declared last week, the leader of Black Lives Matter said that we need to tear down all the statues of Jesus because he's a symbol of white supremacy. I have, I have kids I coached in football uh, 20 years ago who would make the same declaration. The reason they have uh, departed the faith following Christ is because that's a white man's religion. So this is the left. The lines are drawn. 
but our judgment is so much is on that's not it we will not forestall judgment by uh trump winning a, a landslide and becoming president what you may win is civil war but you will not win the forestalling of judgment forestalling of judgment is one how when when the nation does what repent repent and how will the nation repent if God's people are not out there among the people saying, repent, right? Calling the, the nation to repentance. I know we all think that's too big a job for us. I can't do that job. Well, you're right. You can't. It's a job that the Lord does through you by the power of his Holy Spirit. We just have to be willing. We just have to be willing to use the voice God's given us on the day he gives us to use it. What is it that Jesus said to his disciples? They're going to they're gonna drag you before judges and in courts, and they're going to say bad things about you. But what did God say? The Lord said to them, but don't be afraid about what you're going to say, because the Holy Spirit will give you utterance when it's time. But we will make that decision long before the day, Right? We'll make that decision long before the day by simply saying, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We will share the truth. So it says in Jeremiah 26, verse 20, Now there was another man who prophesied in the name of the Lord, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah, from Kiriath-Jerim. He prophesied against the city and against this land in words like those of Jeremiah. And when King Jehoiakim and with all his warriors and his officials heard his words, the king sought to put him to death. Now when Uriah heard of it, he was afraid and fled and escaped to Egypt. Then King Jehoiakim sent to Egypt certain men, Elnathan, the son of Achbor, and others with him. And they took Uriah from Egypt, brought him to King Jehoiakim, who struck him down with the sword and dumped his dead body in a burial place of common people. Now, why would Jeremiah share that with us? Because at the same time, Jeremiah is delivered from the hands of an angry mob. Uriah is not. Because God's the one who gets to choose when a person's ministry, opportunity, voice is, has done what it needs to do. And just because God saves Jeremiah here doesn't mean God has to save Uriah. Sometimes being faithful to what God wants us to do will cost everything. And sometimes God will deliver you. Please remember the message that Jesus gave the seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. If you have time, read it this week. Read Revelation chapter 1, 2, and 3. That's all you got to read. You'll, you'll read about the unveiling or the revealing of Jesus Christ and his seven letters dictated to seven churches. There's one particular church I'd like you to focus on. It's the church of Smyrna. Smyrna is known as the persecuted church. Smyrna was enduring ten waves of persecution, persecution after persecution 
hard times after hard times. And Jesus, when he writes to them, he has no point of condemnation against them. He's not angry. They're not, they haven't done something wrong. What Jesus says to them is this. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. In John chapter 11, when Mary and Martha are, are running to Jesus, Martha comes first, Mary comes later, after her brother Lazarus had died. And they said to him, Lord, Lord, if only you had been here, our brother would not have died. That's not true. Because Jesus tells his disciples that Lazarus had to die so that they could see who he was. Four days after he's in the ground, Jesus comes and Martha says, Lord, if only you had been here, he would not have died. And Jesus said, your brother's not dead. You know he'll rise again. And she says, I know he will rise in the last days at the resurrection. And then Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Nobody dies in Christ. Not ever. You may leave this dimension, this place, this earth. But you are not dead because when this world destroys you, you simply leave this place and you walk with he who is called life. Jesus, the Bible tells in John chapter 1, that light has dawned to mankind, and that light is the life of men. It shone in the darkness, but the darkness could not comprehend it. He is life. When we follow Christ, we're on the path of life. We may leave this world, but you are not gone. The Bible says to be absent from the body here is to be what? Present with the Lord. In the presence of the one who will cover you with his righteousness, his beauty, his magnificence, and stand you before the Father without spot or blemish or any such thing. And he says it is his great joy to do it. He will usher you into the presence of God to be declared part of the bride, the body of Christ, entering into a beautiful relationship with him, that is not second place. That is winning the prize. That is why Paul would say, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He says, I don't know which is better. I know you guys need me, Paul says. I know you need me, so it's good for me to be here. But I would rather be with the Lord. I would rather be with him. And I think for, for uh, Casey this last Sunday, we were with her on Saturday, and uh, those are almost exactly her words. She said, Jackie, is it okay for me to go? And I said, yeah. I said, what do you mean? He said, okay, it's okay. 
you put your eyes on Jesus and you go wherever he leads you. And if he takes you home, it's time. And if he heals you, then it's time to be healed and rise up and do whatever he has. But until that time, you follow Jesus. Jesus led Stephen, who was a man full of the Holy Spirit and was witnessing and sharing the truth, right? Was he sharing the truth in love? Sure he was, because the Bible says that God was well pleased with Stephen. And the crowd hated him, and it gnashed his teeth, and they drug him outside the city, and they stoned him. And Stephen declared before the people, he asked God not to charge them with this sin. And he lifted up his eyes, and who did he see in heaven? What does the scripture say? He saw Jesus, but this time he's not seated. What's he doing? He's standing, welcoming him home, because Jesus led him to the mob, and the mob took his life. But we don't die in Christ because he is the resurrection and the life. Two paths. One leads to real, true death. One leads to Jesus Christ. We need to make sure we know what path we're on. Jeremiah gives us the story of Uriah so that we can understand. Sometimes God will deliver us from the crowd and sometimes he won't. But one doesn't mean you're, you, God's more happy with you and the other that God's upset with you. You're just following the road that God has laid out before you. And the decision that we need to make about that road will be decided long before you get there. For I have been crucified with Christ, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by the power that he gives me, right? Isn't that what Galatians goes on to tell us? The power that God gives me. It's making the decision. When I chose to follow Christ, I chose to die to me. Whatever path God takes me to, I want to walk it and fulfill his purpose on it. I want to rightly reflect the glory, the beauty, the majesty of who he is. I want to shine authentically with his glory, right? Just like Moses when he said, show me your glory, Lord, and the glory, the afterglow passed by and Moses' face shone for 40 days. I want my life to shine like his, like Jesus. I don't want to cloud it up with some of me. I'd like more of, more of me to be gone, right? What did John the Baptist say? Less of me and more of him. I must decrease, he must increase. This is what we want to happen. I think this is why Jeremiah gives us this story. There's a faithful prophet during the exact same time. What happens to him? He is killed. But he's not less faithful than Jeremiah, who was delivered. Now one day, Jeremiah is going to finish his ministry, and he's going to die too. He's going to die in exile in Egypt. Because he followed the people who were disobedient to the word of God. We'll get there one day eventually. And when he follows them to Egypt, he's going to suffer the same fate they suffered. But he would not leave them without the word of God. So though they went a direction he knew would mean their death, he followed to be a voice calling the people to repentance until he died. He stood in that same place, a faithful prophet of God. Now, verse 24 tells us, but the hand of Ahikam, 
the son of Shaphan, was with Jeremiah so that he was not given over to the people to be put to death. Shaphan was one of the servants of King Josiah. Ahikam, his son, supervised the cleansing of the temple in the early days of Josiah when Jeremiah's father found a scroll. The leadership that are there protecting Jeremiah are part of the leadership that was there in the days of Josiah who remember the, the revival, the repentance that went through the land. And so they protect Jeremiah. The day will come when, as it says in Genesis, a Pharaoh will come on the scene who does not remember Joseph. And then all those things turn. In our world today, there is coming a day. It may not be the next four years. It might be five, six, seven years. I don't know. But there will be a day when the leadership of our nation does not know anything about the roots, the faith that sprung this nation. That day will come. And all favor, when that happens, will be gone. We enjoy a lot of favor today. We have things called 501c3s. Churches don't pay taxes. Pastors don't have to pay taxes on what they get when they're getting paid from church. That'll all go away. May end up paying more taxes. Who knows? But the point will be the same as the point was for Smyrna. Be faithful all the way to the end. Don't deceive yourself. Don't, don't be afraid, right? The Bible doesn't say we've been given a spirit of fear. What have we been given? He has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid. Fear is not from God. God gives us a spirit of power, a spirit of love, a spirit of self-control. So we, we need as his people to say, Lord, show me your glory so my face will shine like yours. So I can reveal to the people around me these things that are so important, that are necessary for our day. And when the Lord comes, he will find us doing what he called us to do. I can guarantee you this. The Lord will never tell us to sell everything we have, put on white robes and stand on a mountain and wait for him to come back. That's not what he does. The Lord will say, go to the lost Go and bring the message before it's too late. Amen? Let's go before the Lord. Father God, we thank you for this time that we can study your word. Thank you for the truth of Jeremiah and how it fits in our day, Lord. And as we look at the political climate, the events going on 
all around the nation. I, I guess I'm thankful for a few things. I'm thankful that I live in Idaho. I'm thankful that I'm not surrounded by a lot of these things, that we are uh, relatively safe from many of those things. But I also know that as the climate of the nation delves deeper and deeper into chaos, rejecting more and more the voice of the Lord, that those things will come even here. God, I pray that we will have our face set like flint, like Jeremiah. I will speak the truth of God's word. I won't leave anything out. I will say just what it says. I won't try to make the word of God more palatable. I won't try to soften it where it's hard or harden it where it's soft. I will be a right reflection of the glory of God in my life. Because like a city on a hill, the light of Christ will draw men to him. The Lord said, if I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. So God, may we lift you up. May we illuminate you. May we allow your light to shine. May we draw men to your presence until the day we see your face. May we be found faithful to do all that you've asked us to do. Pour your spirit upon your church, even as you did in Acts chapter 4, and give your people boldness. May the baptism of your spirit drive us to be the men and women you're calling us to be. And in the end, when we see your face, may we each hear you declare, well done. In Jesus' name.